I've been doing this YouTube gig now for three years. I did a financial planning gig for about 25 years. And what I learned is I don't have to have all the answers, but I, I need to know where to go to get the answers. And what I want to share with you in this video is where the stock market's going, how I'm reacting to it. And I want to enlist the help of Jim Chanos, Carson Block, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and Andre Zhek. So I'm going to share some of the stuff that I've picked up from them over the last several days that I think is very valuable in helping us determine where is this market going and how far down is it going to go and what can I do to make money on it as it's going down and then be in a position to uh, take the recovery on as it goes up. Best of Us Investors presents Kerry Griegmeier. Between now and October the 31st, I'll be giving away $1,000 for you to buy stock. Moomoo is adding to my contribution with 15 stocks worth up to $2,000 each. Find the links in the description. I'd like to take the time that we have left here to address an issue that both of you have some familiarity with, and that's the <laughs> Chinese market. It's been very geopolitically sensitive given the current environment between China and Taiwan. Semiconductors have been at the front of that story. Many of these Chinese tech giants have been at the center of that story. I wonder, Jim, from your standpoint, are there still places where China has companies that are doomed to revalue to the downside even further than they are right now? Uh, and if so, where? Uh, I'm, I'm gonna handle that question, deflect that question a little bit and point out something perhaps even more ominous. And that is, if what is going on in the world, whether it's Russia, Ukraine, whether it's central banks losing control, whatever it might be, weren't happening right now, I think what would be happening in the Chinese real estate market would be front and center for investors. It is, I've long said that, that Chinese apartment prices are the most, probably after treasury bonds, most important asset class in the world. And they are declining. Um, we are seeing a real real estate problem in China over the past 18 months that the government does not seem to have a handle on. And um, the reason that's important, as you know, is that, that investment is still almost 50% of the Chinese economy and that residential real estate is almost half of that. So residential real estate is 20 to 25% of the Chinese economy, which is a stunningly large number. They're still building 15 to 20 million flats a year. And, and the fact that, that there is a major meltdown occurring amongst the developers, both public and private over there, is a major story that's really kind of on the back pages of our financial press. Um, and Are you saying that Evergrande is just the beginning here? Evergrande was the start of it. Uh, that was 18 months ago. And, and uh, there was another default, I think, just this, this overnight in a different developer. Um, you have to understand that like Tokyo in the late 80s, Almost every large company in China has a real estate development arm. So it's not just the developers. This is endemic to the whole economy there. And, and I think that, that we ignore it at our own peril, but realize just how, my, how much of Asia is tied into China. Um, it's a big story. And, and I think we're kind of all, because of other things, it, it's off the thing. And, and, and a focus on tech stocks, as you say, because mostly it's tech stocks that trade in the U.S., Chinese tech stocks. 
as uh, Joe Tsai reminded me a, a number of years ago at delivering Alpha Hair, that I didn't understand Chinese companies. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a tie-in with the government that you cannot get away from. It's the state economic model, whether you're publicly traded or not. And capital going into China just is not treated well. And particularly Western capital is not treated well in China. And, and this has been going on now for a long time, not just the past few years. Carson, where does it manifest itself the most in, in, in your mind? What does your gut tell you about whether or not there is any kind of a, a real shoe that's left to drop here when it comes to Chinese companies and their economic viability in this kind of environment? Well, what the past year and a half have really brought front and center is, like Jim was just talking about, the state involvement in the economy. And until about a year and a half ago, just would always hear Western economists laud the government in China. Oh, the government's going to do this. The government's going to do that. And these are the same economists generally who freaked out when the U.S. government got non-voting pref stakes in our banks. You know, so it's like there, there's always been this cognitive dissonance there. But in the past 18 months, we've you know, investors have really been smacked in the face by the fact that this is not only in a totalitarian regime, but it's also capricious. And they, she has clearly judged that he no longer needs or even really highly desires Western capital. So you're rolling the dice. If you take a look at a lot of Fortune 500 CEOs, they appear pretty sanguine. And you might say, well, you know what, if these guys, if they're, if they're okay with investing more money in mainland China and they're not really panicked, and this also ties into the China, the, poss the scenario in which China attacks Taiwan, if they're not panicked, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should be okay with it. But I would point this out, and this is a reality of the world. I mean, certainly you see this in asset allocation. If you zig when everybody else zigs and you all zig off the cliff, you know, you're not you're not going to really suffer adverse professional consequences for that. <laughs> you zig when everybody else zags and it doesn't go well, then you're going to have a problem. So just because all of, all of these people, you know, all these Fortune 500 CEOs are willing to increase their bets in China that they had already made, you know, don't take that as them being the smart money here. And by the way, the China invasion of Taiwan, in the scenario in which China invades Taiwan, I mean, it is the biggest issue. There is no issue in investing in China or Asia that surpasses that. And, you know, like, how, how do you know? Like, how do you know whether they, I mean, do you really want to bet that China does not invade Taiwan? Like, what's that based on? You know, because they need the U.S.? I wouldn't make that bet. Does that mean that Chinese-based, or I should say this, Taiwan-based manufacturers and semiconductor companies are in your mind a hold right now? Don't touch them? Well, it, it's interesting because if you're Taiwan, on one hand you could say, hey, the smart thing to do might be to build fab capacity elsewhere in an area that can't be attacked by China. But on the other hand, if you want to make sure that the U.S. and the West rides to your rescue, you don't do that. So, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, don't, I don't deal in holds, but there's obviously a lot of risk there and you know there's a price for everything but do the prices of these assets really reflect that risk That's what do you have to ask yourself this is my short position for china addressing the uh, concerns that jim chanos and carson block just presented 
So let's pull that into a more recent and so you can see what has been happening uh, recently relative to a short position in uh, China. As you can see here, the volume started to pick up back in uh, around August the 1st as uh, the price crossed both the 50 and the 200 day moving average, had a bit of a drop back on August the 25th and then has taken off. And this is reflecting the fears and concerns that both uh, Jim Chanos and Carson Block were expressing uh, towards the future of China. Um, I think it has some potential. As I say, it back here, it was at about $16 a share. It's now up to about $20.33 a share. This is where I believe part of my portfolio will go uh, to weather the storm that I think is in front of us over the next six, eight months, 12 months. I don't know. I will be stunned if we don't have a recession in 23. Don't know the timing, but certainly by the end of 23, I will not be surprised if it's not larger than the so-called average garden variety. And I don't rule out, not my forecast, but I don't rule out something really bad. Why? Because if you look at the liquidity situation that has driven this, um, we're going to go from all this QE to QT. We're following an asset bubble. Um, we've been doing all this uh, running down on the SBR, which is now, that's the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. It's now below 84 levels, even though obviously oil consumption is much higher. Um, we've had a bunch of myopic policies that have actually delayed the liquidity shrinkage. QT has been almost entirely offset by Janet Yellen running down the Treasury savings account. By the way, pretty amazing policy. She could have sold 10 years for under 1% during this time and said she runs down the Treasury savings account. So all that has masked the liquidity shrinkage, but it really comes into full gear. And she can continue this for a while. We can do the SPR for a while, stimulative stuff. But by the first quarter of 23, it kind of goes the other way. So our central case is a hard landing by the end of 23. But I don't know. The, I've been wrong on a lot of things. I could be wrong on this. But since I do it for a living, that's our forecast, which is a recession in 23. This is my SQQ. Q chart. That's the short position on uh, the S&P 500. And I'm showing you a daily chart going back to November of 19. And you can see that it went up for the pandemic and then has just gone and laid in the bottom uh, for quite a time. Now I want to bring it into a, a closer range as I started taking interest in it. And you can see that uh, a short position in the S&P uh, or the QQQs has gained some momentum. It actually gained momentum back here when it crossed the 200-day moving average um, on August the 26th and has gone from roughly 41.85 to 61. This is a short position and this is how I'm approaching 
the uh, QQQs, the NASDAQ market, relative to the strength in the dollar, and then Stanley uh, Drunken Miller's talking about the bad financial policy and what it's going to do to the tech stocks. The dollar is exploding against every other currency in the world, including the Chinese yuan, which just hit a new record low against the dollar, as well as the British pound, which is on the verge of collapse. In fact, the British pound and the dollar are so close together right now that this has never happened before in history. So what does all of it mean? What this actually means is that right now, the dollar has reached the most valuable point in the last 51 years, except for two other times in history, once in 1971 and another time in the mid 1980s. Now, even though the dollar getting stronger sounds like a good thing, it's actually really bad news for the global economy, and it's even worse news for the stock market. And here's why. The most important thing you have to understand about everything that's going on is that this is not an accident. This too was created very much on purpose thanks to what's called the central bank, aka the Federal Reserve and Papa Jerome Powell. Right now, they're trying to fight inflation. The way to do that is to increase what's called the federal funds rate, which remember is the cost for banks to borrow money from each other. Now, without getting crazy complicated, just remember that the federal funds rate affects what's called bond interest rates or bond yields. And bond interest rates affect prime rates. And prime rates is the interest rate for us as consumers to borrow money. Now, all this means is that the central bank is making it more expensive to borrow money. But as they increase interest rates, it also means the bond market falls. It is collapsing. It's in free fall. And whenever prices go down, their interest rates go up. And that means their yields become extra juicy. So investors all around the world want to swap their weaker performance assets like their stocks and real estate and their weaker currencies instead for the dollar and because our bonds and assets are denominated in dollars is why the dollar is becoming extremely strong now context is extremely important to this story so when I say that bonds pay a high interest rate I'm only talking about 4.2 percent and that doesn't sound like a lot but that's only because it's not it's very little especially because inflation is probably double if not triple this number but it's still an amazing return. When you remember the fact that the S&P 500 is down over 20% this year, that Bitcoin is down almost 60% this year, the Russian stock market has already collapsed, the British economy is on the brink of collapse, and the Chinese real estate market is probably weeks away from some other major collapse. So this 4% yield is starting to sound really, really juicy. The point is, the global markets have no idea where the economy is gonna go, and that's why the US dollar is what's called a safe haven for the global markets all around the world. Now, this situation, which we've artificially created, is good for some people, but it's really bad for others, including investors. So in short, the dollar's exploding in value, which means really bad news for the global economy and really bad news for the stock market. That's the opinion of four people that I highly respect. And as I said, I don't think it's necessary for me to have all the answers. It's uh, necessary for me no to know where to go to find the answers. And I think these four people are excellent sources. So with that in mind, I also then wanted to, as I did, show you how I'm investing 